We'd very much like to dedicate this episode of Raw to Andrew Stone, who tragically passed away on the 10th of September 2020. Andrew Stone was a massive Happy Alcor fan. So if you're out there somewhere and you're listening, Andrew, this episode is for you. Hello and welcome to Raw, the 90s rave podcast with me, Tom Latcham and Chrissy Richards. If this podcast sounds especially good quality today, it's not because Paul Kingside has had to work his bollocks off to make it sound good. Uh, although I've got no doubt he has done that. It's because we're using wicked new microphones and a recorder paid for by you, our very generous listeners. So thanks very much to all those who donated. And if you want to help us further improve the output, you can get involved at gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. That email uh, or that address rather is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. Today's special guests were at one point without doubt the biggest happy hardcore act and are probably the most successful act to come out of the happy hardcore scene. Yeah, I'm almost certain that Chrissy was a fangirl and sang along to some of their, of course. Uh, should, should we say euphoric uh, 90s sets and tunes. Can you guess who it is? If you hadn't guessed, they are of course the one and only Falls and Styles. Yeah, hello, boys. Good morning. George is a, George. The dog is loving you. You're, you've he keeps been touching here. my feet. Funny enough, he will do that. He's going to start snoring again in a minute. <laughs> it's when the farting happens. You got to. Uh... Oh, I look forward to that. Especially the way Zane directly at me. Uh, well, yeah, you can bought... stay in that position. Thank you for coming, boys. Thank you for doing well, this. We really appreciate us. it. Um, you and guys spend all the money on the mics as well. I know, which means there's no fee for you, I'm afraid. But, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe one day it's bad timing. Uh, but you guys are, I don't know if you are, sort of currently celebrating 25 years since you first started working together as a duo. Uh, you do get less time for murder. Uh, does that make you feel old? <laughs> Very old. It's 25 years. I can't. Do you know what? It's, the funny thing is we were speaking about it earlier, that 25-ish we're going to make it 25 next year because 2020 yeah. doesn't count. Bit of a write-off. Obviously, yeah. Mm. We're going to write it off and do it next year. So, but we'll go with it for now. Yeah, absolutely. You should be very proud. That's a fantastic achievement. But you do, as I say, get less time for murder. Um, <laughs> so it's a, this, this nominee is a podcast about the 90s rave scene. Um, as a duo, what moment do you each uh, pick from the 90s that was your pinnacle as a duo and why? In sense of what in, in total or production or no, DJ or whatever you what was your what what do you view as your crowning moment in as a duo in the nineties? Wow, heck of a question. I think DJ and Wise, that we might disagree, but Energy ninety seven is always my first pick. That's um, what I was going to say. Yeah. That was a fantastic yeah. event as well. It was mind blowing. If anyone hasn't listened to the set or any of the sets, not just ours, but that that constant noise of whistles and horns which kind of overwhelms the music most of the time, um, was was incredible. And if anyone ever asks that question, that's always the same answer. It never changes. Even though there's been other incredible gigs, DJ and Wise for me, that was the one. It was just something about that night, wasn't it? I think it's the same for everybody. When you speak to yeah. Dougal Slip, Matt, it's a big, that was a big, big moment. What what in particular? It, it was, I don't know. It was just the timing. The music was so good at the time. Um, it, there, was, it, there was a lot of talk at the time about the scene sort of, Starting to die off, wasn't there? Yeah. And then Dave and Penny suddenly come across with Energy 90, uh, 97. And everyone was like, yeah, right. <laughs> That's if it, this is dying. Look at it. I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing. And I don't think there'd been anything like that for No, it almost time, felt like it was leading up to that night, even though you didn't realise it was leading up to that night. And, it's, and it was just a, yeah, it was a, it was a 
a fantastic time that was. <laughs> well, given we're on Helter Skelter, I, I'd actually quite like to ask you, what was it about Helter Skelter that was such a special event? A couple of things, really. I think the fact it was at the number one venue every time, at Sanctuary and Rollers, um, guaranteed sellout just about every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was still, I, it was, it was still where we, were, we had a combination of drum and bass DJ or jungle DJ, hardcore DJ, drum and bass, hardcore. You know, it was like that, wasn't it? And you'd move from Rollers to Sanctuary. Yeah, even though the, the logistics of it was a bit of a nightmare because everyone, you know, as DJs <clears throat> changed over, they literally swapped venues. Um, but I think it was when, I think Hardcore Heaven did the first ever hardcore-only event at the Sanctuary. That's when it all started to change, yeah. wasn't it? And um, there's been talk about Helter Skelter coming back. Uh, I would have assumed, thought that you certainly would have become, you'd be one of the very first picks for them, well, particularly because so. you've, you, well, you used to headline those events, right? Yeah, so yeah. how would you feel about Helter Skelter coming back and do you think it will? I got asked um, to, along with a lot of the other guys, to, to post some uh, stuff on social media about it coming back. I was more, more than happy to. And I, the rumours I keep hearing is that it is coming back. Uh, I think Majika runs basically all of the all, all the social media stuff. So everything that I've heard has been coming from Majika. So um, until I hear from Dave or Penny, then, you know, I'll reserve judgment. But we'll see what happens. And do you think it would be a success if it did come back, Darren? I should imagine so. I mean, I, I should imagine everyone from back in those days would want to go as much as people, the new breed would want to go as well, just simply because it was, they were so big, weren't they? You know, I think the big debate is what it will be, um, what music it will be. My personal opinion that it should be the lineups from them. Um, playing trying, that kind of music. Playing absolutely. that kind of music, trying it, to incorporate. It was a 90s. New yeah. styles. It was a 90s event. Exactly. It should be. Yeah, and it should remain a 90s event. Someone had suggested that actually what they could do is they could get their artists to play their favourite sets that they played at Helter Skelter in the 90s on vinyl again. Like you know, from a, it, it uh, yeah, doesn't have to be yeah, the same yeah. event, it could be a different yeah. event or whatever. But but that would be quite a nice selling point. Do, do you know what? Sadly, my um my aside from Energy ninety seven, I guess let's call it my favourite sanctuary moment is quite famous and included Junior when he did that big rap over the top of Braveheart. Yeah, um, it just come out from a, a Majesty's pleasure. Literally and, that day, <laughs> it was that day. It was right? That day wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And he, he stood on he, stage. He still had his, the, the, the glasses on and even the shirt, I think. Didn't he? he literally still came had the shirt straight from out. prison on. I didn't even know. I think we picked him up, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally took him straight up the road. Straight, straight to the sanctuary. And he's just stood there and he reeled off this, what must be a three-minute rap. Mm. Just, oh, it's a fantastic it's, bit. It's, it's a great bit of MCing. Yeah. I mean, it Listen, he had off. long enough to um, write yeah, one of his songs. <laughs> I think that was part of his rhyme, actually. He was, he was talking about, yeah. I've been, I've been like, on, on the was... wing and I've been working on, you know. Yeah, jail couldn't hold this, jail yeah. couldn't trouble this. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big line. And it was insane. And, and the thing is, it kind of starts it off and you think, oh, this is quite good. And then it goes on and, and you're just lost in it. It's like, this is incredible. And it's just one of those moments you just never forget, really. Um, and people just post it on Facebook now and again. I'd like to have a little listen to it, <laughs> which is cool. Well, I wonder whether you could uh, you could get that. Obviously, Junior's passed away. Yeah, yeah But yeah. I wonder whether you could get that rhyme and get it over the music. You know, to 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 to, 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 to recreate that yeah. moment in uh, a way. Twenty uh, fifth anniversary tune. There you go. Um, it's out there. It's what we could do with it. It's badly recorded, but hey, yeah. <laughs> maybe Darren like could this sing show, it. By the way. 
Maybe. No. So what was it about 90s rave music and especially what you made that you thought was so popular? Well, I think the thing about the 90s which is so different. The, the music varied massively from the start to the end of it. And there's so much happened that it's difficult to sum it all up. Whereas, you know, look at the 2000s, didn't change really a great deal. No. It? it found its feet and it carried on doing the same thing. Yeah, so, that decade, that 90s decade, it went through a lot, didn't it? I mean, even just if you think the difference between like 93 <clears throat> and 94, for example, is yeah. insane. Yeah. Well, and even, yeah, 91 and 92, 92 yeah. and 93, it's crazy. Someone made a point to me the other day on social media that actually they think that the 91 to 95 um, went too quickly. It changed too much too quickly. And actually there's loads unexplored. And that's why there's been a bit of a comeback recently. And Paul King Size is, is part of this as well, making that sort of old... 91 to 95 style of music because there's so there's still so much scope left in it couldn't agree more but do you not find it's just looking back you look you look at it and go that didn't last long enough but at the time it's just a natural mm. kind of progression mm. um and because everything was so new people were finding their feet with equipment and how did no one no one had a clue what to do with any of the stuff yeah, everything I mean, was experimenting wasn't it yeah, at the absolutely. end of the day and i, I think sometimes that made tunes better that no one really knew what they were doing so they would just throw some stuff together and in the end, that kind of just gave music more of an atmosphere rather mm. than maybe yeah. the whole the yeah. technical aspect that goes into it now. <clears throat> well, the other thing as well, we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have kind of YouTube videos that show you how to mix. I mean, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I don't remember shelving any bass off in, in the early 90s. Yeah, it literally didn't even know was, what it was all chucked no, together. No knobs turn left. They all went right. <laughs> You just turn stuff up, <laughs> and that was it. Do you miss? It also, it was all created on hardware and analog, and now a lot of it's digital. Do you, do you, Darren, miss the production side in in that raw way, or do you try to make make it so? Or um, it's a tricky one because back then, my my sort of major role back then was more musical sort of playing the keyboard coming up with melodies and stuff like that paul was the technical one turning the knobs right turning turn the knobs <laughs> right yeah 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 it's just when left hand didn't work something's never changed paul. absolutely yeah so so yeah i mean it, obviously it's it's changed a heck of a lot but um you know there was a rawness to the music then that you just you just don't get now mm. because everything is you know even me like i was saying to you before you you overthink things but back then you didn't you just did it, didn't you? It's like, yeah, I, I you know, I often look back and think about it, and half the <clears throat> half the stuff that we did was completely experimental. Would just literally turn knobs until, oh yeah, that sounds all right, mm. you know. And the same with we used a lot of bass station for acid sounds, and if you heard those sounds prior to knobs being turned right, you would never use it, <laughs> and then so you, you just distort the hell out of it and go, wow, listen to that. Um, but yeah, what you tend not to be able to do, well, you need a plug-in to do it these days, I guess, to distort things. You can't do it on a desk like you used to be able to. Yeah. So Yeah, things have changed a lot, but... For the better? Um, I mean, it's uh, arguably, it's easier to make music now. Like Paul said, there's, the, you know, there's tutorials can show you exactly what to do. But, you know, you can, again, you can overthink things. I think this was, um, with the Force and Styles thing, we we were in it right at the beginning and we weren't overthinking things and arguably towards the end of the force and styles sort of career, so to speak, when we were overthinking stuff is when it went totally. not so right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. 
<laughs> and I think that what happened is new new equipment started to be yeah. released, didn't it? And yeah. we always wanted to be at the forefront of new equipment. The problem was we didn't know how to use that equipment. And so you kind of, you you, you get a new bits of kit and most stuff with, if, if it was piano, it was piano and it sounded great. And with this new, these new sounds coming, they all sounded quite thin, didn't they? Remember mm. the Nord lead and the virus. They were, the they were, like, they were too and, clean. Yeah, they, they were just, were just clean. really clean. And in all fairness, we was trying to do everything we could to get a cleaner sound at the time, weren't we? Yeah. To, to clean it up. But it just a it, massive mistake. It wasn't <laughs> what the dance floor wanted. No. And it was, yeah. Yeah, huge error in judgment, that one. But um, it's what we thought was right at the time. And the funny thing is, early early <clears> days, <throat> we really, everything was focused on dance floor reaction, wasn't it? Everything that we did. We just, because we used to go to a lot of parties and, and listen to the music, see the reactions, we knew how it had to sound. And I think later on, that dynamic changed a bit and we was trying to make it, does it sound good in headphones? Sitting back with a with a beer and a pipe and <laughs> just going, yeah, this sounds nice. It wasn't for the dance floor as such. And I think that really changed quite a bit. Yeah, it doesn't help when there's labels saying, yeah, you know, this could possibly cross over. This could do this, this could do that. And so you're, so you're being you're, tempted by com- commercialism. And yeah, money. Because yeah, it's, totally, yeah. yeah, because it's it's not happened before. So you kind of, you're going down different avenues that you've not done before. It's, 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 it can play with your mind because you don't really know where you should be going, you know, and there's different roads and you can take completely the wrong ones or you can kind of, you know, work your way into it. And we had nothing to gauge it on because it was all brand new to us. You know, everything was brand new. So, yeah, well, essentially you were at the forefront. So you were, you were making the path well, essentially and that, then, then you don't know where you're going. I think you that's just... the problem though, isn't it? Because we was considered being at the forefront. We took it upon ourselves to think we need to, 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 to change forward. it. We need to move forward. Yeah. We need to be the ones moving forward. Um, and it didn't work, yeah. unfortunately. But I guess if you look at it is that we were trying to move forward and, and actually we weren't really, we didn't need to move forward because we hadn't, <laughs> we, it, was, it was moving, you know, it didn't need to move that quick, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, sometimes if you've been making the same style of music for five years and you maybe want to make a change, fine. But what, we'd been doing it for two years not even two years, and then suddenly we were trying to progress maybe yeah, yeah, quicker yeah. than we needed to. And looking back now, one of the things I always remind myself of, not feeling, not disappointed with anything that happened because it, it did for a reason, and, you know, it's amazing when we did it. You look back and think rock music has been drums, vocal, guitar forever. Mm. That's not changed, whereas we tried to change what hardcore was. And there was no need to. What were you trying to make it? Uh, Trance had just come in, basically. And we was kind of, you take influences from everywhere. So the early days was all taken really, I I was really into sort of the early happy, um, big vocals, piano, house stuff. Uh, I think you probably were as well. Yeah, no, exactly the same. So everything was kind of influenced from that. And then Trance come in. I love Trance. Uh, I think we both loved Trance at the time. We used to play a lot of it, didn't we, Mm. locally? Um, and was trying to do that. But those the guys that were making it were bloody good at it and we'd never done it before and trying to make it work just didn't didn't particularly work. And it took you and Breezy a few years really, didn't it, mm. to to really nail it, um, to get that sort of Yeah. 
uh, styles of bass sound going. It's fascinating insight. It really is. And I wasn't expecting that when we asked you about just a, a very small question about the, you know, the, what people remember about the 90s, but absolutely insightful. Yeah, we're done now. Let's see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got. <laughs> <laughs> no, only joking. This is Force and Styles with a very rare joint interview here on Raw, the 90s Rave podcast. You can remember our contact details for anything at all. Hello at the 90s Rave podcast.co.uk. Okay, you're listening to Raw, the 90s Rave podcast with me, Chrissy Richards and Tom Latcham. Um, we like to find out a bit more about the artists we meet in more detail than other interviews. So we're going to do our quick fire get to know you round. Right. So we'll start off and we'll do one each and uh, no messing around. Just quick, quick, quick fire. Bang, bang, bang. So, right. I don't need to introduce you by name for this because this is the question. Full name? Darren James Mew. Paul Hobbs. Age, Darren? 45. 50. Hmm. Technical day over. 50. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where were you originally from, Paul? Uh, born in Wellington City. So just up the road. And myself, I was born in Enfield, London. Great place. Enfield! Oh, <laughs> so three of us. <laughs> um, and where do you live now? I live in Frinton on Sea in Essex. I'm in Colchester. Um, relationship status that's to Paul single I'm married just about because you had to postpone the last one didn't you because it was your anniversary and yes. you forgot this is very very true <laughs> so yeah. it's good that you did yeah. so you can now thank us for, so, for but, still being married yeah. Yeah, for those was... of you out there we had a date booked and they were supposed to come for their interview and Darren forgot it was their anniversary did you forget or was it did you, was it no do you know what I'm pretty bad when it comes to the Remembering the anniversary. Today is not our birthday, is it? No, 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 no. We're all good today. We're good to go. Okay. Do you have any children? And if so, how old, Darren? Um, I have two, two girls, uh, nine and seven. How long have you got? Yeah, I mean, this is it. <laughs> I have six, age, age six, eight, eleven. Uh, 16, 18, and 24. Crikey. Jeez. That's very tiring and very expensive. <laughs> well, I, like... like Conduct, um, Paul. Well, I was going to say, like Peter Crouch has once asked, <laughs> what would you be if he wasn't a footballer? He said a virgin. I have <laughs> the same answer. <laughs> um, Darren, do you have a favourite non-dance song? A favourite non-dance song? Oh, my goodness. Um, on the spot. Uh, it, prob- it would have to be an Oasis song because I love Oasis um, and band music. I'd probably say Wonderwall. Oh, how about you, Paul? Oh, I used to be a big Dar Straits fan back in the day. I always loved Brothers in Arms. Good solid choice. Oh, what's your tipple? Um, uh, I like quite a few different things, but at the moment I love a spiced, <laughs> <laughs> spiced rum. Oh, nice. Very yeah. good. Delicious. Oh, mine's probably quite boring, just a gin and tonic, I think. That's what I usually choose, if I'm apart from a beer, if I'm out. Fair dues. Who's the most famous person you've ever met, to Paul? Um, oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go, oh, it's got to be a footballer. So, Harry Kuehl, possibly, Teddy Sheringham, anyone, yeah, any, any one of those boys. Who really? do you support? A Man United supporter. Mm-hmm. Got a funny story about that, if you want to go into that in a minute. But <laughs> Okay. Off for Mike or not off for off Mike? No, on Mike's cool. You oh, go, on, go for it. Go on, well, it. Darren, I've always been a United supporter. And Darren, was, you never really supported anyone in particular, but he started following United um, because of, you know, they were good. Their, because they were good in the <laughs> yeah. United. Plus, because you supported him, I was sort of <laughs> because like, I yeah. supported him. 
Um, he'd never been to a game before. So it was getting to around your birthday, wasn't it? It wasn't far off. And we had a mate who was the manager of Oscars who had some ties with uh, Villa players and, and, and the Villa ground. And there was a certain FA Cup semi-final replay in 1999 at Villa Park. Mm. Um, I said, Tony, can you get some tickets? He said, yeah, of course, mate. So his first game was the, the 2-1 win with the gigs goal. When he got his shirt off. And when he got the shirt off yeah. and the hair was out. What a game. Chest. The, what the, a the, game. The problem was his second game was the final against Newcastle, and then that kind of brought him back down to earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did so well, did it? <laughs> so you do care now or you're not interested? Do you know what? I mean, I'm interested, but no, I don't follow football as much as I did back then. But because, we, you know, when we were sort of living in each other's pockets, we were he was what I was watching football as much as you it was nice i was i was loving it back yeah. then and who's the most famous person you've ever met darren oh my gosh um i maybe danny minogue i don't know oh, i don't right. know yeah. interesting yeah. spit match yeah. was kylie right so, was it oh, yeah. me. she kissed him <laughs> did she <laughs> mm. did. it was a, uh, she, on the cheek i think on the cheek and she didn't know who he was so <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not <laughs> it was on top of the pops oh, did she trip is that what it was she fell over and just kind of yeah, lent, yeah. Got, got, <laughs> sweet quality uh, what's your tell us one thing about yourself that will surprise people, Darren? Um, I electrocuted myself when I was four and blew the top of one of my fingers off. Really? Yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah. Oh, do I really have to show you? Is this on the camera or this bit uh, not? I mean, really you show can do it above the camera, yeah, it's, you? it's not particularly... Oh, like okay. it's yeah. Yeah. Another one. Bloody hell. Yeah. Crikey. So basically, my granddad was um, changing a bulb and a light. And he did the wrong thing. He told me not to go near it. And I was four. Which you obviously And as ignored. soon as literally he turned his back and as he was getting a new bulb out, I went and thought, I'm just going to put my finger in this. So I stuck my <laughs> finger in it. And yeah, literally, apparently, because I, I haven't really got a memory of it, wow. but it chucked me across the room, blew the top of my finger off. And wow. yeah, Jesus. and the only reason I'm here today, apparently, is because I was wearing slippers. And if I had not been wearing slippers, right? it would have been game over. Wow. Yeah. And Fuck. we never would have had force and styles. It would have yeah. just been force. force. Yeah. Oh, that's a real shock there now. Because <laughs> <Yeah, you see? laughs> you would have thought, actually, if, if anyone was going to die early, it would be, it would be well, force himself. <laughs> but it's good that it didn't affect your, uh, you know, your piano yeah, and keyboard yeah, playing of your future as well. It improved, I Maybe. think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why we made the tune simply electric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? Oh dear, I don't know. Um, I mean, six children is quite surprising. I'm 50, I have six children. There you go. Well, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, when I left school, I uh, my career started as a computer technician. I did that for nine years prior to leaving and, and becoming a DJ. So, Well, Groove Rider as well was a very early computer programmer, he told us, we found out. Oh, really? So he could have been, you know, a sort of whizzy... Maybe I should have hooked up with him instead. Yeah, you could have, you could have, you could have been the rival to Apple or yeah. something. Yeah. False and Groove Rider, that works, actually. That works. Force, do you have a sporting hero? Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Funnily enough, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, I love my golf. Always love my golf. And it's not an obvious one, but Constantino Rocca. If you know who that is, I do. But it's, he's not—he's not one of the more sort of round a- golfers. Absolutely, but I Why? don't know. I t- it's that part on the 18th that uh, St Andrews that he holds. Um, for the, I don't know. It's just yeah. Always liked him. What about you? You're not a football fan. I'm, I don't really have a sport in here. I mean, I, I love sport. I watch a lot of sport, but I don't really. If yeah, I mean, I, do you know what? I just, I know this sound. This probably sounds cliche, but probably from the time we were watching football when I was into it. I appreciate Beckham, and I also think he's a really good um, role model. He's a good dad. Um, so I'd probably say Bex. Very good looking as Plus well. Plus the wife fancies him. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a celebrity hate? Do you know what I did? Like when Big Brother was a thing, there was many people when I was watching that. Cause I used to like watching that. That would come and go in those programs. That I'd actually think, oh my god, yeah, physically, really. There's not many people that bring me to those sort of emotions. But there was some people going through them that I'd be like, I really cannot stand you. <laughs> but yeah, I, as far as far as naming anyone, I don't really have anyone. I don't think. You just don't want to name anyone, do you? No, I don't. No. Yeah. It's too nice. It's too nice. <laughs> no, honestly. No one you just want to slap? Um, if I remember during this interview, I'll, I'll pipe up. <laughs> How about you? you? Oh. Oh, do you know what? I'm not a great fan of, and she doesn't live far from here, but Gemma Collins. <laughs> just not. You don't even need to explain why. No. I don't think, there you really. go. Yeah. Just not a fan. No. I, I don't know much nice, about her other than the whole dancing on ice thing. She's obviously. a lunatic. <laughs> a dreadful lunatic. I'm glad you said worse than me, Tom. Uh, I That's think I've met her, actually. I'm almost certain <laughs> I've interviewed her in the past. Um, one thing that you could change about the rave scene, if you could. Funny enough, it's it's got it's got to do, you, you posed a question to Slim. I think you mentioned it to Matt, actually, about this, um, the meeting, the meeting of minds that uh, supposedly happened. Were you not invited? No, we were there. <laughs> were you there? Yeah, we were there. Oh, so, come on, you've got to tell us more about this, yeah, please. Come on, because loads of listeners <laughs> have said we're really intrigued you about it. You my memory, because I can't really remember, can't remember it. can't remember it. Do you know what, you, you call me party boy. Yeah, <laughs> secretly. Yeah, one with the brain cells. <laughs> secretly. Um, so yeah, there was there was a, a meeting of certain DJs. I mean, most of us were there, I believe, at Slamming Vinyl headquarters. Um, was that in Enfield? Yes, yes. Mm, yeah. I'm remembering it now. Yeah, you're remembering it now. <laughs> and obviously, it, it was during a time when the scene was taking a bit of a nosedive. Everyone's a little bit concerned about what do we do next. Um, so we all got together, and the general consensus coming out of that meeting was that it, things needed to slow down. It was getting, do we go at 175, 180 BPM at the time, I think, yeah. wasn't it? It was getting quite fast. And <clears throat> from what I recall, everyone was tasked with going away, coming up with a few tracks at an alternative BPM. Um, our, our chosen weapon of choice was about 155 BPM, wasn't it? And we've got a whole load of product sat on that and CD of stuff that we did. Unfortunately, we were the only ones that done it, I think, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> didn't we really? turn up and actually play a gig at Bagley's with all of that stuff? No, we didn't. What we did... That's what we, that's what we were supposed to do, though, right? No? No, what we did, and I, I heard the... Uh, what record, year was this, by the way? This would have been like 98, wouldn't it? Okay. Some, 90, 99, I think, yeah. yeah. What we actually did was turn up... At, it was 99, because we turned up at Bagley's and we played trance. Do you recall? That went down like a That went down like a yeah. Sure. didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we played it slightly faster than it was, about 150. Like a, like a sort of pre-Raver Baby, Raver Baby. Pretty Probably, much, yeah. yeah. Mm. So binary fineries, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, you know. Um, funnily enough, we then went, I don't think that was on the Friday, and we had another gig on the Friday, or we played Norwich on the, so I think it was the same night. I think we left Bagley's, drove to Norwich, and played Waterfront. Yes. And it, it went down awesome there. Went down really well. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean... So who called that meeting? It'd have been Grant, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah, Grant and Grant Mike, probably. Thing, yeah. Slamming. Um, so, so one of the things would have changed, really, is something had actually come out of that. And, you know, rather than a meeting that happened and nothing happened, and then everyone went back to just kind of doing and things just at that point fizzled out. Why, look, it's worth exploring this now because we're on it, and it's not a quick fire round, but it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> what... Um, don't like anything. Uh, well, no, this is fascinating, and people will be really interested to hear about mm. this. I've got no doubt uh, about it. Why did people ignore it, do you think? 
probably not everyone was satisfied that was the right route to go down. Um, so, oh, Briss would be one definitely because Briss, Brisky was very much about about speed. His, his sets were very much faster than everyone else. Sort and of I give, think, the name gives it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Was yeah. he actually at so, the meeting? Yeah, Paul's there. Yeah. Did he say fuck off? I'm sticking to my one eighty. No, I think I think he was. I don't think he's one one of the people that was up for doing anything particularly slow because that's what he was about, wasn't mm. it? You know, yeah. his, his his sets were faster, so why should he? And everyone had their own opinion. We were one of the advocates for trying to bring it bring it down because. I don't know why we at the time we just I guess wanted your to music change. was a lot more melodic, really. But we was doing a lot of other stuff at the time as well because we had releases on Neo and sort of trancey. We bits were just and, experimenting, basically, weren't we? Yeah, pretty much yeah. trying to do different things. Yeah, probably um, looking back on it now, we didn't really know what we so <clears throat> what we wanted to do. We, no. we just knew we were trying to do something different to what we had been doing. So I think going back to the actual crux of the question, what would I'd like to have done like to have done it better would than what we ended up doing i mean some of the tracks are actually all right can we listen to any of them not now you just don't have you, them you've, you've got them somewhere they're hidden away in a bag <laughs> get get hunting paul <laughs> you're on, you're on that, aren't they? On, uh, you've, i think you've someone, got that so yeah someone yeah. on cd yeah i've recorded them off actually quite a few of them there you go there's some re- there is some really good bits and some really do you, but good do you bits. think there was ever any chance that what that that that, that scene was savable actually given that you had the meeting you all went away and apart from you two lovely boys everyone just fucking ignored that it that wasn't meant detrimentally no, to no, no, anyone but, else you know, it, no, was but, just, you know, it didn't happen weird. clearly it didn't, yeah, happen. It didn't happen so yeah. do you think it was unsavable then therefore <sighs> i i personally I think, think it, that the music was maybe trying to go too far away from its roots had it just you know veered slightly and taken some direction from something else maybe then maybe the music would have just sort of but it, but it kind of did. It kind of re, rebirthed <clears throat> as that more trancey, it that sort of trancey sound. But what it, what it, if you're not hear that knocking, by the way, that's George's <laughs> dog's tail. <laughs> that's tail. <laughs> but what it took was a, an, an amount of time for people get, to get used to the new equipment, new production <laughs> values, all that kind of stuff. And then it was around about 2003, was it, or 22 when the 22, I think. What. <laughs> That is definitely the dog. That is the dog. <laughs> yeah. Just get off me. Just For that to change, and I, I, again, I recall there was. Um, I mean, the thing is about the hardcore is that there's some very defined timelines. Happy hardcore and UK hardcore. Essentially, it's the same thing. You know, I don't see it being much different apart from a name. So drum and bass. Everyone says, "Oh, it's always been drum." That's not true. I mean, you've got jump up, you've got mm. your liquid, you've got every other possible type of genre of drum and bass all changing constantly but it's still under the umbrella of drum and bass at the end of the day um and things the other thing to remember is drum and bass took a massive downturn around the time all the raver baby stuff was so all the hardcore djs were massively busy and the drum bass djs were scrapping around for a gig you know so there was that era beyond happy hardcore as such where it had a renaissance Mm. and and came back and it was huge wasn't it yeah absolutely huge I mean, like it, um, the early raver baby events were massive yeah that's absolutely massive and why did it die again <laughs> <laughs> again it's you know it's probably down to people's taste in music it's down to music changing you can, i don't think you can put your finger on it otherwise people would have learned by now i think the problem i may be wrong and you tell me if i'm wrong is i i, I wonder whether everyone just tried making the same stuff like and if and, and there can be so much variation inside of hardcore, mm. breakbeat, freeform, 
yeah. trance, uh, UK stuff, the happy stuff, whatever. There's a, there's a range. And that's what drum and bass seems to have done well. It seems to have done, we'll do a range of things well, and there's something for yeah. everybody rather than we're all just playing the same sets. We're all the yeah, same yeah. DJs on the same flyers playing the same no, things I think all the time. You've absolutely nailed it because that was one of the problems for me is that the same tunes were getting played by everybody. And it was just too, it was just too much. Too much, it was too much of a good thing, basically. The versatility of a breakbeat as opposed to a kick drum, though, just opens it up. You, yeah. you, can, you can make a track with a breakbeat that you can sit and chill to or you can jump around to. You can't really do that with a kick yeah. drum. So 170 BPM kick drum, you just, it doesn't really... I mean, obviously, we did some slightly different tracks that were a bit more... But they were still dance floor friendly, you know, Apollo 13. deep and stuff like that um but i mean i was i was in the gym the other day listened to uh listen to a v recordings podcast and it was brian was doing it and it's just it's awesome for the gym it's awesome for dancing to it's awesome to listen to and you can do so many different things whether that is a piano and a vocal or well, I was going to ask you this question later on, but as we're here, I, I, I may as well uh, ask it now. Um, <clears throat> you went down that kick drum route and stuck to it, and that was where you ended up. Was that a mistake? Do you regret doing that at all? Nope. No, I mean, I, no, I don't have any gr- regrets. He certainly doesn't now. Well, no, he's doing all right. <laughs> like, uh, still, still very you know, high in that, in that field. But I, I don't know, it, it became big for, for a while in that happy hardcore, and then it died off whereas the breakbeat well as we've seen with with jungle and drum and bass it's still very much yeah on the uh, flight definitely but uh, but it has has it had its moments but the the thing is with drum and bass um it's i I guess hard dance now is worldwide more since the amalgamation of maybe hardstyle and hardcore uh has seen it kind of would you agree with that yeah it's kind of gone a bit more worldwide yeah drum and bass is strangely is a worldwide sound more for Europe and possibly Asia, maybe not so much in the States. You know, they, they haven't sort of taken it on board as much as they have the kick drum. Um, so, yeah, it just changes dependent on continent, really. It really does. I mean, the same with, I mean, Australia is a little different now because they have kind of taken breakbeat on a bit more of drum and bass, should I say. Um, but, yeah, it just changes from place to place, I think. And hardcore now seeing as we're on this topic, what do you think it could do to, uh, what do you think is wrong I with hardcore now? I think that's a question for now? Darren, really, because he's so involved in... The, we, but we, he's we, kind we, of like more in his own unique sort of place where it's kind of like sort of EDM, hard style, but sort of also hardcore. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, it transcends... <clears throat> I don't really consider myself as hardcore, really. Mm. You know, I'm just... I'm in a hard dance bracket, you know, I, I don't pinpoint myself, you know, some of my tunes I make at 150, 155, 160, 170. So I'm in, I'm in there somewhere, but you know, a lot of people still call me happy hardcore, but I don't consider myself happy hardcore. You know, I'm, I was happy hardcore with 4C come the two thousands. That was, I guess, coined as UK hardcore. And now, you know, I sit somewhere in the hard dance bracket, but I don't really know where. So yeah, that's my kind of take I mean, on I, that. that so <laughs> people have argued with it, but I've sort of said in this podcast, you know, hardcore is currently dead. And people say, no, it's not, it's not. But there are enough people that I that are in the scene who say it is. Is it salvageable? And to salvage it, what do the, what needs to happen? 
I well, think the problem is, I think the, but there's so much choice out there. And and the problem you have, I mean, going back to the mid-90s, there wasn't, it was drum and bass or hardcore, maybe a bit of house, but house was, you know, early doors was back from music at the time. Um, now you've got 470,000 different genres to choose from. And, and, and kids, um, I mean, there's, there's some amazing parties out there. Um, people that, promoters that actually take the bull by the horns and do multi-genre parties um bristol's a, a, a great uh example i played one a couple of years ago which was a bit of bass line bit of drum and bass i played obviously a, a classic hardcore set and there's a bit of house in there and the kids were jumping around to every single set it was it was amazing um but generally not everywhere is like bristol mm. and <laughs> Just um and and so the choices are they can a lot of kids will go for the glam of maybe house um, if they want anything really underground, drum and bass parties are busier, so they might gravitate towards that a little bit more. The is there drugs an issue as well? Because young people aren't really doing drugs in the same way as young people did when you know when we were all growing up. That's 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 like a, a fact. So that's known, uh, and that sort of heavy that sort of heavy one seventy stuff sort of requires drugs. <laughs> no, possibly. I think you um, go to I, some events now, or you did like a few years ago, and people would be kind of like ketamine would be their drug of choice to go out to, and it's not really a party drug; it's a lay in a k hole sort of drug. You're doing it yeah, wrong. Yeah, I think it depends it's not where you're from. I mean, if you're at a gig in London, I guess it's going to be different to being in Doncaster or Sheffield mm. or something. You know, uh, different areas do different things, and uh, I mean, as well, um, I mean, there's some classic clubs hardcore clubs that are still hardcore clubs and they haven't changed since the early 90s and they're not particularly nice venues to be in and if you're if you're a youngster growing up and you can go into this lovely glitzy house venue with lots of lovely people you know, dancing well, about young people as well, aren't they? They're driven often by Instagrammy things Absolutely. and nice stuff. Whereas <laughs> yeah. in the past, I, you know, when I used to go, I was like, I really like it being edgy. Yeah, mm. we all oh, did. We, I, everyone did. I loved a shithole. I mean, Labyrinth, for example. Mm. I mean, if it's not, I, I never but went to glitzy or glam sort of places. Different era. I mean, the th- the thing is, glam then was, uh, you know, a, a pop type club. Mm. I mean, there wasn't anything else to go to. It was either dingy or ritzy, and that was it. You know. So Cause my, I, I mean, my best nights out of those ones where you go to Labyrinth at like Dalston Lane and you go to go in the toilet and there'd be like four inches of piss from the back of the toilet <laughs> like right that. to the front door. <laughs> yeah, it was an experience. You'd have to tiptoe. You're like, oh my God. There's a but that's turn. the thing is that you didn't know what the night was going to bring yeah. at yeah. any point because of all of those factors, but for many other factors as well. And I guess if you're going to a nice fancy posh club, they're all sort of, you know, nights are all sort of very, you know, the same, you know, sort of variation on a theme, but 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 fairly similar and not that edgy. And yeah, I think social media has changed everything as well, you know, completely. So if that never happened, would things be different? Probably, but how mm. they'd be different, who knows? I tell you what, that was a not a quick fire round. That was the longest quick fire round ever in history. We have uh, still got one more question okay. though on this quick file. I don't we'll know where we're going to put it. Promise. What uh, what one thing would you change if you were king of the world, Darren? Oh my gosh! If I was king of the world, what would I change? Um, I mean, I'd probably fuck COVID off. Well, to be honest, yeah, I, I, I'd do that. <laughs> and probably get rid of. I'm not even that political, but I'd get rid of the government because they're shit. They? <laughs> well, mine was going to be political, but it was going to be Trump. So, okay. you know, 
Right, so shall we wrap this up now? Yeah, do. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, now you know a bit more about the boys than when you started. Oh, it was brilliant. Was like, like, you know, it wasn't quick fire, but it was fantastic. Yeah, it? Yeah, it we might have to make this an eight part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can feel some edits coming on. <laughs> oh, we were meant to be doing this as live. Uh, yeah, right. I'm not sure that that's going to um, take going, down in the edit. It's going but there you go. Outside, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so there you go. Christmas Thank you very much. Uh, remember, though, you can contact us with questions or memories of Force and Styles or the 90s rave scene. Hello at the 90s rave podcast.co.uk. Uh, we're also on all your social media channels including YouTube and there's loads of stuff on YouTube so uh, go and check it out we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode so far we at Raw would love to continue bringing you quality content Um, so if you could chuck some unwanted pennies in our direction and help secure the future of this project that would be awesome the address is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast Our special guests on this edition of Raw the 90s Rave podcast are happy hardcore giants Force and Styles. As we know from uh, Force's tribute to Slipmat back in episode two, they started off as sweaty, gurning ravers. So we're going to explore that. Um, but tell us how you got into rave music. I think it uh, it wouldn't be happy about the the fact of a happy uh, gurning rave. Sweaty gurning. Definitely sweaty. Well, do you know what? If I'm honest with you, if I'm being deadly honest, no, I didn't do drugs. But. I probably did pull a few guns just to try and fit in <laughs> back in the day. I'm not even joking. Thank you. Yeah. It's actually interesting the number of DJs who we've interviewed who just never never did drugs. Mm. Never interested. Why why did you I think I the, the actually the music took me by surprise because I was I was 16 when I first I think it was a rap pack tape or a DVSD tape and I didn't realize that Oscars which was the club eventually i would start djing at and obviously had my first rave at and meet paul at um was even on my doorstep it wasn't even on, on my radar until a few of my mates were like yeah there's this cool club down the road they play rave music i was like oh what's rave music anyway <laughs> we had a night out at oscars um and i can tell you now it was march 1992 i can't tell you the actual date but i know it was in march i know it was in 1992 and um I wore my school trousers down there, a school shirt, because I had no idea what I should be wearing or I'd never even been to a club before. How old were you? <clears throat> 16. And um, I just remember walking in and I'd never seen or felt anything like it. You know, I'd, I'd, I was two minutes in the door and someone come up to me going, he's trips whiz, he's trips whiz, didn't have a clue what they were talking about. Um, and I, I was like probably the first one on the dance floor and the last one to leave. And then that was when I realised what, sort of living for the weekend was because that's all I cared about that all I wanted to do was get back down there the following week and the following week and the following week and yeah I'll never forget those moments but that's how I got into it and how come you never did drugs I mean because you were offered within five minutes yeah I mean most of my friends were doing them but I just um I think what there was part of me that was probably scared to do them because I was I was a I was a shy boy um didn't you know I probably still am a bit actually but um I, yeah, they just they just didn't interest me, and I think I got such a buzz from the music, I didn't need anything else, and that's probably why. Yeah, I I didn't really one of them, eh? It was one of those. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really got anything. It's, it's 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 bizarre because, like I say, most of my friends were doing ease and all the rest of it, and that's why he still looks twenty one. Well, yeah, and it's, I just <laughs> didn't did you never think? Do it. God, my mates are idiots. <laughs> I don't <laughs> hang out with these annoying people who are gurning and sweating yeah, and talking no, bollocks no, I didn't actually I didn't it just that 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 side of it wasn't for me um 
and yeah that's i guess that's all i can say about that but musically i got so much feels from the music i didn't need anything else and what about you paul how did you get into rave music you met <coughs> through raving but how did you get into yeah, the music um guys slightly different for me i uh, i started off as a mobile jock and i i had a decent sized sound system and a guy that i knew who had a record shop in clacton had asked me if i wanted to do the sound system at a local pub um and uh he said, oh, you can DJ if you want. And so I went in, I went in, put the sound system in, and um, I was buying tunes for him. And that was really the first time that I got into the, the music. I, you know, the funny thing was, when I first got in, I thought I'd missed it all. I thought I was really late into it. And it was like 90, 91, I guess it was. Because I hadn't been there in 89. I thought I'd missed everything. And um, <laughs> But I used to, the funny thing was, I used to... Um, Little known fact, actually, my mate used to be the driver for Ray Keith and they used to live in Clacton and I used to go off on a Friday night with, with my mate Mick, pick up Ray from Black Market and then we used to go to a story in different places. I used to sit in the back of the car. How fun was that? That must be such fun. And um, so that was my first really introduction to, to everything and sort of mainly London club scene at the time, I guess. Okay. And you both went to Oscars, which you said was where you met. And I've, I've seen some footage of it and it looks incredible. Like I would have loved to have gone to, to that rave. Um, why does Essex have such a rich history in rave music? Because we've interviewed so, you know, people and it's like basically on some fucking Essex. I don't know. All the best raves were definitely in Essex. Well, yeah. at that time, at that particular point. I think we got really lucky, didn't we? Because we had yeah. Oscars and then literally eight miles away, you had two twos. And then there's quite often gigs at uh, Essex Uni in Colchester. I just got, we were just, and then there was yeah. obviously Berry. There's but what is it about Essex that you think created that? I mean, I don't know because. <laughs> Do you know what? Probably it's, it's probably the illegal rave scene because a lot of it was around N25. Um, there's some famous ones from Ipswich, um, past Colchester, et cetera. And um, maybe that's just where it all started and that's how everyone got into it. And it was never quite the same up north at that time, I don't think. I mean, you had Hacienda and stuff like that, but very much localised, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we struck lucky, really, because it was was on our doorstep. Yeah. Really, really lucky. (laughs) Yeah, had it not been, who knows if we'd have gone down those um, channels. But yeah, very lucky. But I think in Clacton as well, Everyone, everyone was into the same thing, being a small town, small seaside town, and everyone was into that music. It was literally everyone you knew yeah. was going to those parties. What were you, who were your favourite DJs at that, that point? At me, at the time, sorry, for me, it would have been um, Rat Pack and DVSD, simply because okay. they were the two tapes that I had. So when they actually came and did you know, gigs there, it was like, this, for me, this was just unreal. Uh, but at the time, I should um, point out that obviously I didn't know Paul, but he was a resident at Oscars at that time. Yeah, you DJ Paul back then. Too early for when you got in. <laughs> oh no, I was there. Don't <laughs> no, worry about that. No, yeah, because the, and the reason I know is because I, the, when we actually met for the first time, there was a, a, a rave in Colchester called Mind Warp, and Paul was selling tickets. Raven, wasn't it? Was it Raven? Was it? I think it's Raven. Okay, sure. It's and um, yeah, so I went and knocked on the door to to get some tickets and Paul's girlfriend at the time uh, went to my school so she knew that I was that sounds uh, really bad doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul's girlfriend at the time there's yeah, been yeah, numerous yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and she knew that I played keyboards and messed around with music, and she she kind of sort of. So, did you rate him as a DJ? Was he one of the DJs that you liked? Given yeah, he was a resident. Yeah, be careful. So yeah, yeah, no, no. Of course. So you must have been made up when you ended up working together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was quite a big. Well, little known it was a, fact. It was a big move. Little known fact. Darren actually worked behind the bar at Oscars. I did. Yeah. Yeah, so did you wear your school trousers? That's how it <laughs> no, because what happened was I was I was raving there for probably about a year. <clears throat> excuse me, and then yeah, I managed to get a job behind the bar, but I really only got that job because I kind of wanted to get in with the promoters. Um, who the irony is that one of the promoters at the time who gave me my first ever gig down there, he's my agent now and has been my agent for years. Um, so he gave me my first gig, but yeah, that was kind of. Yeah, one of the main reasons I was a barman is because I wanted to sort of get in there and try and get some sets, which I did. And then obviously what happened was I was DJ Styles warm up. Uh, Force, he was obviously already playing there as DJ Force, but then they would put us on the flyer as residents, Force and Styles. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of how it happened. That's how it it rolled. And the, the funny thing was, everyone just sees us as hardcore DJs. What used to happen back in those days as a resident if there was a, a headliner on that was a hardcore DJ, we'd play drum and bass. And if it's a drum and bass DJ on as a headliner, we'd play hardcore. Um, so we we played everything back then, didn't we? Which yeah. had to be expensive at the time. But <laughs> it was, yeah. Back down the record shop every day. Hang on, no, no, because, see, we've had Darren talk about not taking drugs, but we can't let false get away with it. <laughs> okay, we were going to move on, but no. I always slid past that question, Yeah, actually. no, I had my, I thought you haven't answered that one. So, um, false, yes. tell us about your messiest moments. Well, I mean, mainly as a raver was during my indulging times. Um, so, very early 90s. Um Oh, messiest moments. I mean, it, used to have a lot of fun down at Oscars, um, particularly the all-nighters. They always good fun. Um, uh, it was all really a blur, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was. We used to have, I mean, everyone was doing whatever they were doing. You used to have a great laugh. But when, when the Force and the Evolution stuff started with more about the music, and certainly when we was doing all the Force and Styles stuff, it was it more ended up being a, a day job and, and more yeah. a far more serious at that point, wasn't it? And so, raving days had kind of ended at, at that point. Um, everyone knows I like a drink, so you know, partying days were were pretty much going out on the lash and uh, having uh, having fun with various DJs around the world. But yeah, that was, I mean, to answer the question, um, messiest moments. God. We know you've got some great stories. Just chuck one at us. Come on, don't be shy. Give him the island one. That's a bomb. <laughs> well, I, I, no, I tell you what. Quite funnily, funnily enough, Darren can tell this because when I got married in uh, two thousand and three, I think it was, um, he told his best man at my wedding, obviously, and he told this story at at the wedding, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I mean, you can chime in because you'll probably have some um, added extras for it. Because my memory's better than yours. Because your memory is, yeah, (laughs) seemingly so. Um, Yeah, we were playing in Ireland and um, yeah, I think it was United Dance Night. Would would I be right? Or Well, everyone was there. So Slipmat was there, Vibes, Dougal, um, us and and, and whatnot. And anyway, you know, Forsey was having a few beers and I don't know what else he'd partaken in that night, but there was obviously something was going on. And we were playing a back-to-back set And I literally, I think I'd queued a record up and then I turned around to ask him a question and he was 
flat on his back in, in the DJ booth. So, yeah, and I think, I think it was that night, if I remember rightly, you'd gone from like zero to 100 in like no time at all. So I don't know what it was you'd taken, but... What was it you had taken? Well, that, that particular night was... It was a buckfast night. Uh, I couldn't tell so you. We were just hammered on. Yeah. You were pissed. Oh, but there would have been, there would have quite been other stuff quite too. Would have been other stuff. I'm not going to deny there wasn't. Listen, because Chris I, Brown was there that night. There would have been other stuff. <laughs> Standard. Standard procedure. His name comes up every <laughs> single time. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are straight. He, yeah. right? he, he, he was the heavyweight. He was the heavyweight. But actually, I'll go, I'll go back to a different story after this. If you remind me of it with Chris Brown. Um, but... Um, yeah, so that that had happened, and then there was other. There was another part of the night where, what are you doing, one arm press ups somewhere. That that was in part the corridor. Of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the but the 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 part it leads up to was, I was we were sharing a room, right? No, no, you were sharing a room with Rob. Oh, that's right. And I came out of the room. And there was a pile of sick no, on the floor. slightly different to that. Do, do you want me to tell this <laughs> you story? story. Yeah, you remember How can you remember it? Better? You were smashed. <laughs> <laughs> so him and Rob were sat in the bedroom, um, just chilling out. And apparently, as you told it, um, all they heard against the door was every few seconds. There's just this thump against the door. So they opened the door and there was me just like headbutt in the door. And he's looked down, there's this pile of sick on the floor <laughs> by, by the door. And um, that's really where the where the story culminated, really, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was, I think um, the, the punchline was, we said, Fawcy, what, what is that? And you went, oh, what, me? <laughs> and it was like, it's all over his feet. It was on the floor. It's like, it's oh, like, buck fast. It's oh, yeah. Yeah. buck fast, yeah. <laughs> do not do buck fast. If you have a kids, if you're listening, don't do buck fast. It's not good. Where is it now? Uh, well, uh, we also like when we interview twosomes to, to, to sort of explore their relationship. So did you get on straight away? Well, it was kind of a a pre-organised thing because I think Paul had said to you, to you or said to me, oh, Darren, Darren's coming, he does music at school. And Love that. so we, we just kind of, we just got, well, they used to do, they used to do gigs at school, you see. Um, the Evolution Crew. The Evolution Crew, yeah. So they used to do these lunchtime gigs. There's Dow, Paul, and James, and so that's how we got talking about it. I think, wasn't it? And, and yeah. the funny thing what was, what sort of band were you? What, what, what we were the gigs? Just, there was three of us. We had three keyboards, keyboard each. We'd stand up. We we kind of originally modelled ourselves a little bit on the Pet Shop Boys. So you we must were have kind got of, bullied badly. We were kind of, well, we were nerds. Yeah, we were nerds. There's, there's no hamsters yeah. involved in it. But, but no, this is listen. This is where it changed because when we went from being like the Pet Shop Boy-esque kind of band to the evolution when we sort of discovered rave music. So we were on the stage. We used to do these lunchtime raves, right? So you'd have the main hall. You'd have us up and we'd, we'd use in the sound system from the school. My friend of mine, Gary, he'd stolen like um, an orange light that goes on the top of like you know your jcb trucks and whatnot mm. so he'd got one of them that was the only light we had right so we turned the lights off in the hall we had this orange light going around <laughs> and we were playing our rave music but this thing got out of control because initially it was just people from school who were coming at lunchtime right next minute 
the our sort of rival school from down the road, they were all turning up as well and coming in. Next minute, people are smoking in there at lunchtime, right? It is, and then obviously, Brilliant. but we were like, we were just there to sort of like give people the music that we were making, but it was actually turning into a, a physical rave. So yeah, it was, it was. It was got shut down, didn't you? It got shut down. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the all good rave do. That's, that's brilliant. Good. Sorry, coming back to the school thing, is it true you had a teacher tell you you'd never make a career in music? Yeah. What's his name? Yeah, Mr. Rayner. Ah, Mr. Rayner. Mr. Rainer, no, you yeah. are uh, basically a, no a pop idea. star now. No idea. Yeah, no, he did. He said to me, um, he was a history teacher, and he said, "You'll never." What the fuck would he know then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said, "You need to get your head out of the clouds and you know think seriously about you know oh, you'll well, never I, make it." I hope Mr. Rainer knows exactly who you are. Yeah, now. Mr. Rainer. Look him up on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him you might still make it as a yeah. musician. Send him some of your tunes and your merchandise. Remember yeah. me? I remember him. He was bald and had a moustache. And so, how did you end up making music together? How did you join this already set up crew, well, the Evolution yeah. crew? So that was it. So Paula, at the time, um, Paul's missus, she was at the school, so she knew we were doing these lunchtime gigs. Obviously, Paul was. Um, it, it was like you know, to be fair, as DJ Force, he was the the local superstar DJ. Really, everyone knew who Force was, <clears throat> and it was kind of like, well let's get together and try and make something. And yeah, I think it's, it's kind of your, because I, I didn't know how to play music, still don't. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what these guys were there for. Uh, so putting the two of us together, I knew what I wanted to hear at the parties and they knew how to play it. And that's kind of how it happened, really. Simple as that. And that was it, yeah. And I, I still don't think there's been anyone as kind of uh, talented as this one here with... You know, as as a musician, I mean, I don't know in other scenes, but certainly within the hard dance scene, anyway. Because as you can tell with all the tracks, the, the the piano lines and the music is just way out there, complete compared to anyone else who was basically painted by numbers. A lot of people. How did time. you start playing the piano? How did you, how did that come? I had from? lessons, so um, I had a keyboard for Christmas. I think it was when I was ten or eleven. I think, and yeah, I had lessons. Yeah, which weirdly I did not enjoy and I wasn't very good at because he was trying to teach me kind of Mozart and all the kind of theory and all of that, which just did not interest me. So as soon as he'd gone, I would just sit there and just make up songs, record them on cassette and yeah, and that, that was Makes it. Makes me wish I hadn't given up the cello, really. <laughs> yeah, you should have. Yeah. <laughs> I could do a banging walking in the air. Yeah, well, yeah. We, snowman. we don't have an, a set future for hardcore, so it could be cello core. Right? <laughs> cool, yeah. well, I will know. say that the cello community did not mourn my passing when, <laughs> I, when I gave it up. But well, the, the thing was, because I, I had to give it up, because unlike you, who proudly wore that badge of nerd, uh, I went to secondary school carrying this big fucking cello once a week, and I was like... This is not the vibe I want to give off when I go <laughs> yeah. to secondary school. So I was like, no. Yeah, and I was keyboard, shit anyway. The keyboard so. was still quite cool to, to do back then, even though we were sort of the nerdy ones. You can but, be kind um, of versatile with a keyboard. I don't know about a cello. Yeah. You know, I, think I always wanted of... one of those keyboards with the straps, you know, so you could hold it like a guitar, one of those ones. That's what I wanted back then. But <laughs> uh, who's, the, who's the best DJ then out of you? We were, we, well, honest answer, we were very different as DJs. Diplomatic answer. Yeah. Well, we was. Yeah, we was. Um, so Darren was probably more technical in respect of making sure everything was spot on and right. Um, I'm At the time, would I be more inventive slightly? I don't know. But we DJ slightly differently. Um, the, the, the benefit he had over me, I had a crap ear when it comes to, to tuning. Um, it's great now because, you, you know, you've got, mixed in key and all that kind of stuff so you, you know you, you're basically doing it by numbers 
but he could tell what was what was in tune and what wasn't and I wasn't so great at that so um I was yeah. definitely safer I remember being safer you know I'd pick the tunes that I knew were going to work together whereas you'd take risks yeah I was pissed though <laughs> <laughs> so do you think somehow like you as a pair you sort of leveled each other out yeah that was that would help to make it work definitely what else would you say went towards your success as a professional pair uh, it's, it's, it's what down, qualities did you both bring that well, worked brilliantly to together? Tunes. I don't, you know, the same with anything. If those, yeah. if we didn't do those tunes, we wouldn't have got the DJ. And simple as that. Um, but what about so, you as people, though? I mean, is one of was one of you like more enthusiastic? Is one a motivator? Do you know what? At the time, I think at the time when you're making, which was literally every tune that we did at the time, wasn't it? Was deemed as a as a banger. Um, you just like riding high you're just in the moment aren't you you? yeah you literally everything you do turns to gold almost and we couldn't do anything it sounds ridiculous not being Mm. big-headed but it was literally every everything we did come out really well but the thing is it was very formulated wasn't it so we weren't deviating apart from yeah obviously we try and chuck something like apollo 13 in there and try and make it a bit different but the formula was still the same still piano still kick drum off beat and stuff like that one of the things i always say that i think um, done us in a little bit was the invention of bass in hardcore. <laughs> it's if you look at list all those tracks, there's no bass lines. It li- it's a little offbeat sound, mm. but it certainly wasn't bass. Um, and the kick drums were so big, it didn't need bass because it yeah there was no room for it anyway. And claps were on the beat; they weren't off the beat, and so everything sounded oh, it's just just the way it was. And everything was fairly similar, you know. So it kind of worked. I guess the the, the main thing was the piano, getting the piano line and the vocal. So. When when you were putting together those tunes, would it, was a, would a lot of it have been based around a piano line, or would it have been uh-huh. based around very a vocal, good question? And that's or... depending. You see, this is who... why she's here. Uh, I don't know anything about making music. Whereas... Depending on who we was working with, so if Junior was involved, it's very much around the vocal, wasn't it? Because yeah. a lot of the time he'd have an idea of what he wanted to do. The only time that didn't happen probably was Paradise and Dreams because I think we started that from scratch, didn't we? Then he came in that night, didn't he? And just banged it out. We were playing FIFA, weren't we? Yeah. And he goes, oh, I've got an idea, boys. I was like, no, we're busy. (laughs) He goes, no, 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 it's really cool. And he started singing this little thing and then we started writing it and, you know, but a lot of the time with like Pacific Sun, um, Pretty Green Eyes, certainly. He had the vocal pretty nailed uh, and then everything was built around it. Other stuff like Heart of Gold. And Field of Dreams. you do the piano line and get the music down i'd write the vocal for it and then we'd get jenna in to sing it and that's pretty much how it worked and in terms of you uh, together in your relationship um do you ever is there anything that you don't like about the other one that he still looks 21 that's really that, is annoying. that would be annoying, <laughs> yeah. that would actually, be annoying. Well, the- i'm gonna pipe up here oh. i can't believe you are the same age as me <laughs> And the thing is, I didn't have a tough paper round either. So, I mean. slightly annoying. Funny enough, I think, Chrissy, I sent you a video the other day from 1994, yeah. uh, a United Dance Temptation interview, and he doesn't look a lot different no. from that. No, I have you to know, say, he doesn't actually. Ridiculous. 
Yeah, so I mean, Peter I don't Pan. know what to say. I just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, in lockdown, I've had started to get some greys in my beard down. I've got a few around the you side there, so it's, there, it's yeah. on the way. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to bother, to be honest. You could look like this one yeah, day. I could yeah. do no, that's not <laughs> And have you, have you ever got sick of the other? Have you ever got sick of each other? Has there ever been a point where you've, have you thought, if a family groove rider, right? They said they never had a row. Not sure how much I believe that, but you know, that's what they say. What about you two? Do you know what? As such, I don't think we've ever had a row as such. No. But I think times got stressful, possibly when we were struggling to find what we wanted to do. Yeah. When we were trying to find music, I'll be the first one to put my hands up. And so around that time, I struggled in the studio massively. And I'd go in, I'd be there for an hour or two and go, I can't do this. And I'd, I'd have to go. And I, it was, whether it's anxiety or whatever, who knows. But that was a real struggle trying to, when we tried so hard for so long to come yeah. up with something and we just couldn't get it. And I yeah. think that was just, you know, a stressful time. Yeah. Um, but never fell out about it. Um, I just walked out. <laughs> I just, I just have to leave and just get my composure. Come back the next day and try again. Oh, um, but like artist style flounce. Well, you were talking about writer's block earlier, <laughs> and you know it's it's similar to that, I guess, isn't yeah, it? You just, it is, yeah. we just couldn't come up with something that worked or that we was that we were happy with. A lot of the time, if you listen, if ever we find those recordings, if you listen to the to the the tracks, the the content was actually really good. It was the production that didn't really work. around it, yeah. Um, And that's what we struggled with, whether it was moving studios, using different monitors, using different mixing desks, who knows. But And at that time was also quite tricky because for me, where I was just bringing the content to it, as opposed to any of the production side of it, because I I didn't know how to do all that. That was Paul's role and I had my role. It's all my fault. (laughs) No, no, no. No, but I was kind of... I was still, I guess, even though I knew we, it was, it was tricky times and we weren't finding our sound, I was still kind of chomping at the bit to, to get there. Cause I kind of knew we would, uh, or I felt we would in the end. Um, so that's when I kind of had to learn that side of it myself somewhere along the yeah. line. There was that massive change as well, wasn't there with, with kick drum. I think kick drum was a big part of it Yeah, because we used the same kick drum for, for most of the mm. big tracks. So we knew how to set everything yeah, in there yeah. and then we, we, we changed yeah. it to what was a, a softer kick drum. God, I hate using that word, but yeah. it was, wasn't it? I'm um, yeah. trying to get that slightly cleaner sound with all the rumblings of our first hardcore artist to chart and all that kind of stuff. You then try and start to leave it, mm-hmm. leave it a little bit towards that slightly cleaner. But it, it's lessons learned because it, it's generally even now a dance record that crosses over crosses over because it's been made for the dance floor and it's still got a raw edge to it. it it's, there's not many producers out there unless they're producing for pop people, an actual dance floor record gets big because it crosses over because it's massive, you know, in that environment first. Whereas I think mm. we probably were trying to make something that was... Songs. some Yeah, something that was going to fit on radio <clears throat> maybe and on the dance floor. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't working for us. It wasn't working. And are, yeah. you st- are you still close now? Do you see each other a lot? Do you talk a lot? Well, not as much as we used to, obviously. Um, I mean, he's travelling the world half the time. Well, not now, but I mean, mm-hmm. but we still keep in contact, don't we? Yeah. Those, you know, find out yeah, yeah. each other is and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. And but so, yes, yeah, we, de- we definitely <laughs> never, we never fell out, that's for sure. And why did you stop working together then? Why did you decide well, that, this is... Uh, um, well, there's an easy answer to that. During that late 90s, well, actually it would have been early 2000s. Early because, 2000s yeah, early yeah. 2000s. It got to a point where there was no money in it, absolutely no money. I I was um, just about to get married, needed to get a job. 
And I was working for a friend of mine who had a light and sound company who was working with Craig. And so I'd go off and do the odd day with, with Craig and then he'd be left in the, to work in the studio. And I think you started working with Breezy a little bit at that point. Yeah. And then, so that's, I'm going back a little bit to the, the early unique stuff that when Darren started doing unique feeling fine and all those kind of things. That was, Which I'm hoping you're going to karaoke for us later. Oh, yeah. I'm going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've got an auto-tune plug in. <laughs> there, there was, um, because the UK Dance label was doing really well at the time, I was spending a lot of time in the office working on that stuff. And again, he was left in the studio to, and you started doing the unique stuff at that point, didn't you? Yeah. Um, when he figured out he could write songs at that point oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd never really got involved in, no, in that, that side Feeling Fine was the first song yeah. I wrote, yeah. How do you feel about Feeling Fine, by the way? Because it's one of those tunes, I think a lot of people were like, what on earth is this? And then other people loved it. How do you feel about it now, that tune? Um, yeah, I'm proud of that song. I'm okay. proud of that I'm song. A fan. Yeah. I'm yeah, a fan. Yeah, no, I'm, pr- I'm proud of it. I, I, um, yeah, it was, I guess I was experimenting at the time, heavily into Oasis, those sorts of bands, which is why it was sung in the way it was sung. It was sort of like strained. I mean, I can't, let's be fair, I can't really sing. I just kind of, shout it more than anything and and um yeah and that's what i did with that song um but yeah well, i was pleased i, think you I remember you do yourself down mate no auto-tune was used in that it wasn't actually it wasn't, was it it? No. no but i remember Carry what happened was okay. I, I, <laughs> I recorded it i recorded it as a, a friend of ours called john horrocks who had a studio next door to us he recorded it for me and he he tracked it like a million times. So I, I think I did about 20 takes. And by doing that, generally, sometimes it kind of pulls the tuning in a little bit. And that's what happened with that particular song. So uh, And so it, it seems like it was it, it was unavoidable that you were, had to go your separate ways because you needed Paul to, to, to get a job and there was well, no money in it. <laughs> did, did you... Did, did you miss each other? Did you think, oh, God, what a shame. I really wish we could still continue to work together. I think, it, it, for me, I was gutted at the time because of... I mean, you say, was it? if we'd have got the right sound, it'd have probably right. carried on. And who knows what might have happened at that point. He might not be doing what he's doing now. You know, it's just the way life takes you and doing different things. I mean, if we'd have carried on producing together, the the inevitable may have happened a few years later and he might have missed the boat on the other stuff. So who knows? Um, but <sighs> I was I was gutted at the time. Absolutely gutted. Even though I couldn't do much about it. I tried, but it just, it just didn't didn't work out so sometimes you just have to take it on the chin and, and move on mm. and how did you feel about it at the time Darren? i think <clears throat> being honest because we were coming out with a bit of a sort of delighted no, <laughs> no. i wasn't I I wasn't, I, no, I wasn't delighted at all because obviously it was it was just it was a change of an era but my eye was so on the ball i just wasn't ready to i wasn't ready to throw in the towel i still felt like there was you know i felt like it could big again in whatever sense and i wanted to be part of it so i was just i was just doing anything i could to sort of carry on making music really and i was i was still living at home so i didn't have the bills to pay i was living with my mum so it was a different kettle of fish um but yeah i was able to throw everything you were still living with your mum in 1999 even though you were the biggest producer in hardcore yeah i think i had a flat but i didn't live in it you say, yeah. you say yeah, that yeah. but what people don't realize they think you know d- doing all those tunes and everything else you're coining it in we weren't no at all no, right. so the, the downside was yes we were playing all the big parties 
you did you got paid the least money for those big parties and because we was together we was getting why it's just how it worked no one had agents no one had anything you, you do you want to play this party, the biggest party in the country? Yes, please. How much are you going to give me? Right. <laughs> it's basically like that. But furthermore to that is we got paid the same wage as everyone else did, but we had to split it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and that's basically how it was at yeah, the time. And there was no one had agents back then. So it was literally just us saying, you know, it's basically like, you want to play on Hell's Girl? Yeah, absolutely. Here's 50 quid. Okay, it wasn't 50 quid, but, you know, to be fair, not far off. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not like it is now. <laughs> and the same with, yeah. the, with the studio as well. What's different now is every penny that we earn went straight back into the studio to buy a new kit. Yeah. Which doesn't really happen now. You know, people don't have to spend that kind of money. I know plugins cost a little bit, but not like hardware did back then. So out of the tunes, we didn't make a great deal until Pretty Green Eyes. Yeah. And that's probably the first time we actually. So there's a misconception, really, then, that, that, you know, those 90s rave artists were, you know, cornering it in at the time. I mean, if if you were lucky enough, I mean, Hicks had um, Bonkers. And if you were lucky enough to have the albums, obviously, like they went on to do with the Clubland. the Clubland album, you'd earn some money out of those. But normally, of a lot of the a lot of the tracks, um, and certainly the DJ, and there wasn't masses in it. So you're 25 years on now. Do you you're going to do some stuff for it, and we can talk about that a little bit later, perhaps. But do you anticipate that you will get, ever get back together? There will ever be a, a reunion of production creation ideas between you two? i wouldn't like to put that on him to be honest he's doing so well <laughs> with what he's doing um some things are left best untouched but um i mean i'd uh, never i'd never say never i'd never just we're, draw we're, a line in it and say no we've spoken about a couple of um things like oh could you do a piano line for this so, you know give that a go um but it's just so busy with everything you know taking a few days out to, to do i mean i'll be straight in there to give it a go but you know finding the fun of the time to do it works for both of us who knows that's it for part one of force and styles part two will be long very shortly uh you can stay tuned we're going to be discussing plenty more uh including their more about their music career and the hardcore scene loads and loads of stuff and their current covid situation you can head over to uh, our social media channels for updates and why not check off uh check oh, fuck that. i'm coming bothered <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, we covered a lot of what we were going to cover in part, part two. Part and, two is going to be but, very uh, short. Really short. <laughs> but that's fine. That's all right, though. Yeah, that's all right. We've got a karaoke to do. Oh, yes. <laughs> we're not really doing karaoke, are we? <laughs> no, we're not. Didn't you make me sing it once you before? <laughs> I'm sure you've made me sing it Oh, maybe. Yeah, it might have been on uh, Addiction or Eruption <clears throat> FM. Yeah, it was up a, up a tower block or something. No? I'll have that on tape, then. There you go, then. Yeah, pull that out Right, this is Styles with his chorus of. I suppose I bet they're feeling fine, really. Each time I see Hicksy's face, his smile is shining through. I can't help the way I feel, but it's all because of you. You stole me from my world and said that you'd be mine. And that's good enough for me, cause I'm on top, and now I'm feeling fine. Now I'm feeling fine. That's what you're getting. <laughs> that was pretty good, mate. Nice one. Sadly, that's it for the first part of our fun and exclusive interview with everyone's favourite Essex boys. 
if you're able to spare a few of your English pounds so we can keep this project going, that would be legendary. You can do so at gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. And now we'd like to say thanks to some special people for donating to us generously. They are uh, Colin Nat, otherwise known as CK, Jay Mallon, Arthur Roski, Ica Green, Mel Casey, Halcyon and Jay Ransom, Mark Simmons, Ruben Wurlidge, Tom Evans, Tom Lloyd, Tristram Brentley and Ollie Wheeler. Thank you very much from everyone at Raw. Don't forget, we're also on all your social media channels. Search for the 90s Rave Podcast. Thanks and catch you later.